Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cross Country Crime. Once again, I know we say this every episode, so it's turning into a cliche, but it has been a while since our last episode. We are glad to be back. We've been a bit busy with school and some other things. We've also been procrastinating, despite our love for true crime. Anyways, we're here today with the episode Lululemon Murder. By the way, by episode 10, we'll have merch, so get excited for that. Yes, we will. Our episode today is about a very famous brand called Lululemon. And if you don't know, it sells athletic apparel. It was founded in Vancouver, Canada in 1998. Um, and by the early 2010s, and especially I think in recent years, it ha- has become super duper popular. Like if you walk on the streets, you'll probably see someone wearing clothes from this brand. But in March 2011, the company made headlines for a different reason. Murder. This is the case of the Lululemon murders. Jana Troxel Murray was a 30-year-old graduate student at Johns Hopkins University. Both wondering, why is there an S after John? Like, do they know proper grammar? Sorry if we're slandering you on Spotify, Johns Hopkins. We're just very curious. So if you could respond to us. No, <laughs> if you listen. Also, Dora's parents say that if she goes to Johns Hopkins, she'll probably get mugged. So maybe we can look into crimes there in a later episode. Also, side note, but there are a lot of other prestigious college campuses and areas that I feel like have like really like dangerous like towns or cities that they're located in. Mm-hmm. But we could talk about that in a later episode. Yeah, I feel like larger cities, like, I don't know, like New York or something, there could be pretty high crime rates in some parts of the city. Anyways, back to Jana Troxel Murray. Yes, so uh, Murray works at, at the store so that she could meet other active people and attend seminars that would help her as she pursued a Master of Business Administration degree. Woo, ambitious. Yes. Uh, and there was also this other worker named Brittany Norwood. She is 29 years old, and she also works at the store. Uh, they never really had any issues, the two women, so this was pretty unexpected. Yeah, no issues at first, apparently, but uh, where is that going? Also, hot take, but I feel like a lot of my friends that I have now are people I didn't like before, as in we had unsaid issues before, but then we grew mm. to like each other. Is this true for you, too? Yeah, I can think of one case in particular I think it was like in fourth grade this one girl that I met the first day super awkward and we just like did not like each other but then after a couple months we became best friends and we're still friends now so I guess it does hold true yeah like I feel like it's like almost like slightly more suspicious that they had no issues whatsoever anyways back to the case on March 11th 2011 Murray and Norwood were both working the closing shift at a Lululemon store in the Bethesda Row shopping center. Before locking up for the night, the two women checked each other's bags, as per store policy. Murray, however, found a pair of stolen leggings in Norwood's bag. Anyways, at the restaurant where I work, we don't check people's bags. Not that anyone would, like, throw any chicken or alcohol in their bags, but, you know. So I'm wondering if every retail retail store has a policy where the co-workers check each other's bags? I mean, 
if done right, it sounds pretty smart. Right. For expensive clothing wear, I think that makes sense. Yeah, sounds pretty smart. If it's done right, that's the key here. Uh, but Murray and Norwood left the store together at 9.45 p.m. And six minutes later, Murray called the store ma- manager to tell her about the stolen leggings. And soon after, Norwood actually called Murray again to tell her that she had left her wallet in the store and she needs to go back to get it from the store. And Norwood was, was a newer employee, so she didn't have the keys and Murray was like this higher up employee which is why Norwood has to call Murray to get back into the store. So at 10.05 p.m., the two women re-entered the store. A few moments later, employees at a nearby Apple store heard some commotion. According to the WJLA, this employee the Wall Street Apple Journal of Boston. I hate to interrupt okay. you there, Dora, but we love to use abbreviations. <laughs> Our viewers might not know that that's I'm going to guess that's the Wall Street Journal of Los Angeles. Am I right? Wall Street Journal? Well, where's the S? Um, true. The WJLA. Maybe that is something different. The WJLA. Okay, I just searched it up. And apparently it's a television, television station in Washington, D.C. Okay, never mind. Um, I'll make sure to not interrupt in the future. <laughs> Although that's a good idea, Wall Street Journal of LA, but Wall Thank Street you. is in New York, um, so that would make no sense. But Fair. according to the WJLA, an employee at the Apple store said that she heard a woman's voice say, quote, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on, unquote, followed by about 10 minutes of shouting and grunting. And then the same voice said, quote, God help me, please help me, unquote. However... And this beats me, but the Apple employees did not call authorities because they thought it was, quote, just drama. So you hear all of this from the Lululemon store. I- I'm wondering right now, just trying to put myself in their shoes or their leggings, rather. Too soon? Too soon. Anyways. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the Apple employees think that the Lululemon employees are just having drama. However, being curious, as we have a tendency to do as humans, wouldn't you as an employee of another store be interested in in what employees of a different store were fighting about? Wouldn't you want to eavesdrop and figure out more? Maybe that's a moral of me. Maybe that's also a logical. I don't know. The next day on March 12th, 2011, uh, the store manager named Rachel Ortelli arrived before 8 a.m. to open up the store. And... But yet, when she got out her keys, she realized that, for some reason, the door was already unlocked. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, we have that in every single episode. <laughs> so, upon entering the store, Ortelli noticed that the lights were on and clothes had been strewn across the floor. Then she heard a voice in distress coming from the back of the store. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, sorry, t- too soon. Yeah, we just said that. Okay, yeah, right. Sure. So Rachel then ran outside and called 911 after hearing the distressed voice from the back of the store. She saw another person waiting beside the Apple store, sound familiar, and asked this man, Ryan, (laughs) if he would go back to Lululemon with her to check on the person who had been the owner of the distressed voice. Like they decided last night there was just some drama at like around 10 p.m., 
So they're like, oh yeah, it's fine. And then now they decide, oh, like we might have an issue here. Like that's eight hours too late, dude. Yeah, like too little too late. So when this Apple affiliated person, Ryan, whom we do not know if they are an employee or a customer per the term Apple affiliated person. So when Ryan got to the back of the store, he told manager Rachel Ortelli to call the police, which was when Ortelli dialed 911 and told the dispatcher, there's two people in the back of my store. One person seems dead and the other person is breathing. Ash, congrats on knowing how to call 911, how to call yes. the police if you need it. I, I, I memorized three numbers. I am proud of myself. And you stole my joke. Well, sorry, not sorry. Uh, so Ryan discovered a body that was lying face down, as well as a woman who was tied up and barely breathing. When the Montgomery police arrived, they found two sets of red shoe prints. One set was large and one was small. Ah, uh, ha, ha. a classic crime scene. Sounds almost too familiar, but maybe that's because I've watched too many crime documentaries by this point. I don't know about you. Definitely too many crime documentaries, I was going to say, but you and me both. And I assume a lot of our viewers have watched a lot of them as well. Shout out, Leontine. The police soon discovered that the body laying face down in a pool of her own blood was 30-year-old Jaina Murray. The woman who had been tied up was Brittany Norwood. So basically, you can, we can infer that Murray is dead at this point, and Norwood who was tied up, is not. After being freed, Norwood was rushed to the hospital, and once she was declared stable, she told the police what had happened the night before. She explained how when she and Murray entered the stores to retrieve her wallet, two masked men slipped in behind them. The men raped them before killing Murray and tying Norwood up while calling her racial slurs. Then, according to Norwood, The men supposedly let her live because she remained complacent to their demands and didn't put up as much of a fight as Murray had. Yeah, um, that's a great story. Initially, the police treated Norwood as a victim, and they began searching for perpetrators, asking local stores if any customers had had purchased ski masks recently, and they even followed a man who matched Norwood's description. However, investigators quickly became suspicious of Norwood. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, my gosh. You, okay. I I don't even know what to say to that. Well, we'll get to the next part, I guess. And I'm just going to ignore that. A classic move, playing victim. I wonder what the success rate of this tactic is. Because I feel like whenever someone tries to do this, holes in their story are discovered. For example, there's a case involving Jennifer Pan. I think that that's what her name was. She hired hitmen to kill her parents and then tied herself up. Unfortunately, things did not go according to her plan and her mom survived the attack. Of course, her mom's story completely debunked Jennifer's cover-up. Yeah, and I'm glad that this happened because imagine what Jennifer could do. Seriously. Uh, she could be out there today. You never never know. know. All right. And one other thing that made people suspicious of Brittany Norwood's victim claim was that when Norwood was first questioned at the hospital by Detective Deanna Mackey, um, and it it was kind of suspicious because 
Norwood was able to, to provide an astounding level of detail about the masked intruder. And usually people don't remember as much as she did because of shock. The hospital also reported the t- to the police that Norwood's medical examination revealed no evidence of sexual assault. Well, this alone can't disprove a claim because the medical examination possibly could have been inaccurate as well as uh, as well as other factors. It added to an already mounting pile of evidence against Norwood. Yes, and also Detective Dimitri Rubin, who questioned Brittany Norwood several times, said, quote, it's just this little voice in the back of my head. Something is just not right. The way Norwood's describing these two guys, they're racist, they're rapists, they're robbers, they're murderers. It's like the worst human being that you could possibly describe, right? Unquote. On top of that, each time police spoke with Norwood, they noticed inconsistencies in her story. For example, she told the police that she had never been in Murray's car, but detectives had found her blood on the vehicle's door handle, gear shift, and steering wheel. When they made this discovery, Norwood quickly called them, saying that she had new details, which she had withheld previously for fear the attackers might return. This part always gets me. New details. I mean, really? How convenient. So convenient. According to Norwood, in the middle of the attack, the two men untied Norwood and forced her to go outside by herself, get in Murray's car, move it, and come back. She said the reason she didn't just get in the car and go find help was because the attackers had seen her home address on her ID, and she was scared they would find her. So Norwood went on to say that she'd even passed a cop while moving Murray's car, but she didn't make any attempts to alert the officer. She just parked the car and went back. I always find these stories so funny. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Scared they would already find her, Norwood claimed, as though finding her is worse than already having her held hostage. At least escaping gives you a greater chance. And I mean, if you literally have a police car drive by you in that situation, would you not ask the police for help? That makes no sense to me. Yeah, no, that's also insane to me. When police told Norwood that her story didn't make any sense, she grew very frustrated. And at this point, the police finally decided to confront her with all the evidence they had, co- they had collected. On March 18, 2011, a week after the murder happened, Norwood was arrested for Murray's murder. Here is the truth about what really happened the night of March 11th. Before we get into the exact trial, I have one thing to say, which isn't entirely relevant, and I probably can just keep it in my head. However, I feel like it needs to leave my mouth. I don't know why I described it like that. But anyways, um, I've been holding my phone up on my hand this entire time. My hand is exceedingly tired. I'm sitting on my foot while recording this, and I just know it's going to fall asleep if I don't stand up. So I'm standing up right now, guys. Sorry about the noise. And also, sorry to ruin the little aesthetic you might have had in your head of our whole recording studio with our microphones and the little glass window and the person like outside the glass telling us what to do and how to record. Um, However, if you guys continue to listen to us and, you know, we might get advertisements and have the funds to create a recording studio for better audio quality. I'm not fishing for stuff here. Just like, you know, uh, if it happens. (laughs) Hi, Ashley. Oversharing. (laughs) Anyways, um, back to the trial. At the trial, Mary Ripple, Deputy Chief medical examiner for the state of Maryland told jurors that Jaina Murray had suffered at least 331 injuries that came from at least five different weapons. 
Her head and face were badly bruised and cut, and what had ultimately killed her was likely a stab wound on the back of her neck that severed her spinal cord. The wound went all the way to her brain, which would have hindered Murray's ability to communicate voluntary movements and defend herself. Yes, and after using items from the store's toolkit to murder Jana Murray, which included a which included a hammer, a knife, a merchandise peg, a rope, and a box cutter. Norwood left the store and moved Murray's car to a parking lot three blocks away. Then she sat in the car for 90 minutes, trying to come up with a plan to cover up her crime. 90 minutes? That's a long time. I could write a DBQ and LAQ in that time. Just imagine. But could I figure out how to cover up a murder? Now, I don't know. Also, another detail I'd like to point out. The fact that uh, the weapons that were used on Jaina Murray were a hammer, knife, merchandise peg, rope, and box cutter. Why does that sound like some objects from the game Clue? I don't know if you guys have ever played Clue, but oh. literally it sounds like those weapons were stolen directly from the Clue board. And I don't mean this in like, uh, oh, similar to a board game way. I mean it and I'm just curious why those were either lying around or why she had those. I mean, I know it's a kit, but like still, why would you have... I, it just, I mean, yeah, whatever. I, I'm just a little confused, guys. <laughs> Interesting detail. But armed with a plan, Norwood went back to the store. She took money from the cash registers to stage a robbery. Then she sliced open her own forehead and cut a gash in Murray's pants to make it look like she had been sexually assaulted. Then Norwood put on a pair of size 14 men's shoes, jumped in a puddle of Murray's blood, and walked around the store to make it seem as if there had been male attackers. Finally, she tied her own hands and feet with zip ties and settled into the bathroom to wait for someone to find them in the morning. Now, throughout the course of the investigation, it was discovered that Brittany Norwood had a history of stealing and lying. I mean, what else would you expect from this nasty person? Brittany Norwood was one of nine children, and her father owned an upholstery business. She had a knack for soccer and received a scholarship to play at Stony Brook University. Norwood played soccer at Stony Brook from 2000 until 2003. She was forced to stop playing because she was expelled from the school and lost her scholarship scholarship after multiple students reported her for stealing many different items. Sound familiar? For example, Norwood's roommate said that Norwood had stolen money and designer shirts from her. In addition to this, Norwood's former soccer teammate, Liana Yust, said she was my best friend in college, quote, and we had a falling out because the girl was like a klepto, end quote. Yust claimed Norwood had stolen money and clothing from her as well. Side note here, I don't know if you get ads on Spotify, but I feel like whenever I have an ad on Spotify, half the time, it's like Stony Brook. Yes, there's this one that I always get. I literally forget what it is now because I'm blanking. It starts with a B. Bridgewater State University. Oh my God, that's it. And it comes up yes. every time. Oh no, it just talks about how, like, how, like, its rankings and what it offers. Like, I'm just like, I'm not interested in this. Yeah, that and also the fact that it's so long and I feel like it's done and then it will literally repeat the same thing over again. And I'm like, I was listening the first time, even though it's literally an ad and I shouldn't have been listening because ads. So true. Back to the story. Sorry. Um, after her exit from the university, Norwood moved to Washington, D.C. to live with her sister. 
And in D.C., Norwood got back on her feet and got a job working at the front desk at the William Intercontinental Hotel. She was even promoted to managing VIP guests. Yet, due to her aforementioned athletic ambitions, Norwood wanted to be a personal trainer instead. She eventually settled for another job related to athletics. You guessed it, working in Lululemon. Well, now we know how that worked for her super well, obviously. Yes, at Lululemon, things quickly started to go awry. Apparently, managers at the Lululemon store Norwood had worked at had already suspected that she was shoplifting, but they couldn't fire her without direct proof. When Murray finally caught her in the act, it came at the cost of her own life. Now, you might be wondering, and we're also wondering this, why did Brittany Norwood kill Jaina Murray? If they didn't really know each other, like, why? What was the motive behind that? Well, the jury wanted to know that as well. During the six-day trial, Norwood's defense team argued that the information about the stolen leggings was irrelevant to the trial because it was hearsay. So Murray's lawyers were unable to come, to come up with a motive. Her defense team argued that the absence of a motive is evidence that the murder wasn't premeditated. However, prosecutors argued that the murder was premeditated. It was clear to everyone, including Norwood herself, that Murray knew that she had stolen from the store. Because the two women barely knew one another, Norwood didn't have Murray's number and needed to get it from another employee. Then, her call to Murray telling her that she had left her wallet is proof of a premeditated trick used to lure Murray back. Thankfully, the jury would have none of what Norwood's defense team said. All of the jurors voted unanimously for first-degree murder. Norwood was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So, a little over three months after Brittany Norwood murdered Jaina Murray, the Lululemon store in which all of this occurred was reopened, and the store now contains a stained glass mosaic inscribed with the word love to honor Jaina Murray. Reopened so soon? Only three months? Well, if I were a customer, I'd be scared. Do you believe in ghosts, Ash? Because the ghost of Jaina Murray could be haunting the store. Yeah, I was thinking that too, and I'm wondering of... Uh, if the customers or any of the workers were thinking about this in a controversial way, because obviously it's a good thing in terms of the fact that it commemorates Murray as being a great person and being a great worker at the store. But it also might be an unfortunate reminder to people of something gruesome that happened at this store. Yes. In 2015, Norwood tried to appeal the decision using a Maryland state law that guarantees circuit court defendants the right to appeal. Her lawyers claimed that she didn't receive a, a Miranda warning early enough and was thus improperly questioned during the investigation. For one, I am so glad that the jury didn't buy Norwood's BS. Now, as runners, we want to share our take on the value of a pair of Lululemon leggings. Was it really worth it for Norwood? Well, I, myself, Ashley, if you forgot my name, will be going first on sharing my experience with Lululemon leggings and how worth it I think they are. I used to love Lululemon leggings. I mean, not that I still don't. I still wear them occasionally. However, I have worn Lululemon leggings three times and fallen in them on the pavement. Maybe that explains how much of a klutz I am rather than the quality of the leggings, However, it is important to note that the three times that I've fallen in the Lululemon leggings, I've torn a hole in them. 
and mostly it has been in the exact same place. Well, friends have come up to me and said that I can return the leggings and get a new pair for free uh, because the hole wasn't exactly my fault. Um, although that's controversial because it might have been given I was the one that was clumsy and fell. It's a little bit of effort to go all the way to the store just to exchange one pair of leggings. I mean, I feel like I should do that now, but it's just happened so many times and like, whatever, maybe I can stitch up the hole. I don't even know, guys. But long answer short, Lululemon leggings um, are not as valuable and tear-free as it seems that they're getting a rep for being. Well, I mean, for you, Ash, stitching it up isn't a problem because you are a tailor. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> really good, Dora. Really, really well done yeah. there. You didn't know, Ashley's last name is Taylor. So that's uh well personally i think these leggings are just super overpriced like they're trendy now but i think in a couple years when the popularity starts to decrease and die down i think people will wonder like why did i ever spend a hundred dollars on a t-shirt like was it really worth it i don't think so and the fact that normally kill Murray over a pair of leggings like that's just insane to me to think about no, honestly. And I also wanted to d- respond to Dora's point about the price of the leggings. Given that they're so expensive, um, I find that interesting too. And the fact that we coincidentally happen to be talking about this on Black Friday weekend, I'm wondering what Lululemon mm-hmm. sale is. The yes. Lululemon store. And if that mural uh, for uh, Jaina Murray is still there that says love. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Anyways, we hope you guys found this case as intriguing as we did. I know it was very gruesome. And let us know if you want more current cases or more cases that happened in the past. This was this happened a bit in the past, but not as in the past as some of the other cases we have covered. So, yeah, that's the Lululemon Murders, Episode 5. All right. Bye. Adios.